For those of you who aren't old enough to remember, the hymn we sang earlier, then what I'm gonna sing a verse of again is on hymn page 137. It's, oh, how I love Jesus. This is what we used to sing more frequently. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. The premise of the morning is simply as I stated, applying the truth of last week in practical ways this week. The, the sermon last week was the primary obligation, expression of Christianity is worship. We're called to worship. Everything flows from worship. Our interactions with God are very much on the order of the rest of our human interactions and relationships. Unless they are tended to they become surface level and they deteriorate. Unless we continue to interact with this amazing God of ours, our love grows cold and we become complacent. We just forget. We forget. You know how it is. You had friends back in high school. For some of you that wasn't as long as it was for me. And you can't necessarily remember their names anymore because you haven't interacted with them. The greater the distance in time between your daily interactions and today, the more you forget and the more they become somewhat irrelevant, no matter how close the friendship was back in the day. John tells the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.4, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You might remember the kind of things young people do when they're young and in love. Because we've had the pleasure of having some recent weddings, we've been able to watch some of that. It is a lot of fun. There's a whole box of letters somewhere that serve to remind me of what smitten looked like 37 years ago. Smitten might just be the attraction you feel for a member of the opposite sex. But I have seen that kind of admiration without the romance. In the eyes of the recipient of a kidney, when that person looks at the donor, in the eyes of a granddaughter sitting on her grandmother's lap, 
reading books and munching cookies. In the eyes of a little boy riding on the shoulders of his adoptive father. I've, I've, seen, I've seen smitten lots of different places. This Jesus we serve deserves our love, our admiration, our continual worship. And I wonder, would anyone look at you and look in your eyes and say, now there's someone who's just smitten with Jesus, who just loves Jesus. Developing a life of worship is the only thing I know that keeps us from turning God into some cosmic genie that we think owes us three wishes. When we turn God into a vending machine, we will always be disappointed because his ways are higher than our ways and the reasons for his choices are beyond our searching out. But when we focus on loving God in response to his great love for us, we change the equation and we remember that God has already served us. That's why we sing, because he first loved me. And it's time now for us in response to serve him in return. That changes everything, it changes the equation. Today we're working to demonstrate the expanse of material that is available to help you in personal worship of God Monday through Saturday. Because it is my deep conviction that if Sunday is your only worship experience, you're living on a diet too thin to sustain life. And so you've got to figure out a way to develop this life of personal worship so that it becomes a daily, I mean, how many times a day do you eat? If you need help with the technology of what we're going to present today, give us a call or talk to one of the teenagers present. I know you can figure it out. My 82-year-old mother has an iPad so she can listen to Gaither homecoming videos and, of course, talk to her great-granddaughter and watch her two-year-old sweetheart. The details of this service are all on sheets in the lobby. So anything that we do in this service is listed out in detail so you can take that home with you today. Links to what we're doing. In addition, there's a four-page summary, several of you had a hand in developing it, that lists potential resources in every conceivable music genre that exists. Different people have submitted their requests. Lists of devotional books that you can get. Lists of prayer guides that you can get. And they are all listed with hyperlinks, URLs for those of you who are com more computer savvy than me, so that you can actually just click on the link and it takes you directly to the resource on your computer. You say, Pastor, how can I click on a link if it's on a sheet of paper? Well, the sheet of paper has already been uploaded to the church website. So you can go there, it's live, you can click on it, and it will take you right to 
this prayer guide or write to these music videos, I have to give a brief disclaimer. We're not responsible for any advertisements that may come up when you click on a YouTube video. You understand that? So you may not, do, may not initially want to check the link with your child present because we can't control that, okay? But these are all Christian uh, artists uh, for the most part, and we, um, we hope that you'll enjoy this kind of very different morning. The sermon illustrations precede the sermon today. So this is the first musician that was recommended to us today.
it for you. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, this past Thursday. The simplicity that is in Christ, from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Simplicity is the secret to seeing things clearly. A saint does not think clearly until a long time passes, but a saint ought to see clearly without any difficulty. You cannot think through spiritual confusion to make things clear. To make things clear, you must obey. In intellectual matters, you can think things out, but in spiritual matters, you will only think yourself into further wandering thoughts and more confusion. If there is something in your life upon which God has put his pressure, then obey him in that matter. Bring all your, quote, arguments and every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, end quote, regarding the matter, and everything will become as clear as daylight to you, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Your reasoning capacity will come later, but reasoning is not how we see. We see like children, and when we try to be wise, we see nothing. See Matthew 11.25. Even the very smallest thing that we allow in our lives that is not under the control of the Holy Spirit is completely sufficient to account for spiritual confusion. And spending all of our time thinking about it will still never make it clear. Spiritual confusion can only be conquered through obedience. As soon as we obey, we have discernment. This is humiliating because when we are confused, we know that the reason lies in the state of our mind. But when our natural power of sight is devoted and submitted in obedience to the Holy Spirit, we become the very power by which we perceive God's will, and our entire life is kept in simplicity. Walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice Tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you've got pain He's a pain taker if you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found worn out from the same old fight we've all run the things we know just ain't right there's a better life there's a better life if you got pain he's a pain taker 
got chains He's a chain breaker If you believe it You'll receive it If you can feel it Somebody testify If you believe it If you believe it You'll receive it You wanna listen sound of those chains breaking. Praise his name. All right, this is uh, Praying in the Wesleyan Spirit by Paul Chilcote. I know that to be poor in spirit means to acknowledge my brokenness and my helplessness. Much more than a superficial kind of humility, this poverty of spirit requires me to face myself with honesty to renounce all of those forces that push me away from you and to place all my hope, my very life, into your hands. But glory to your name, for whenever I have found the courage and strength to be poor in spirit, I have experienced the birth of your reign in my heart anew. With your reign comes righteousness, your life and love in my very soul, the mind of Christ, and your image renewed. With your reign comes peace, a calm serenity of the soul. And with your reign comes joy in the Holy Spirit, the sealing of your promise in the depths of my heart. Praise his name.
Oswald Chambers is one of my most favorite devotionals. However, this is a portion of the prayer from day seven from John Belay, a diary of private prayer. O Lord God and maker of all things, from whose creative power the first light came forth, who looked upon the world's first morning and saw that it was good. I praise you for this light that now streams through my windows to rouse me to life of another, another day. I praise thee for the life that stirs within me. I praise thee for the bright and beautiful world into which I go. I praise thee for the earth and the sky and the sea, for scudding cloud and singing bird. I praise thee for the work you have given me to do. I praise thee for all that you have given me to fill my leisure hours. I praise thee for my friends. I praise thee for music and books and good company and all pure pleasures. O thou who art everlasting mercy, give me a tender heart today to all those for whom the morning light brings less joy than to me, those in whom the pulse of life grows weak, those whom must lie in their beds through all the sunny hours, the blind who are shut in off from the light of day, the overworked who have had no joy of leisure, the unemployed who have no joy of labor, the bereaved whose hearts and homes are desolate, and grant your mercy on them all. Amen. When it's safe to transverse the aisles again, Tanya Snyder will come and in a very specific way, announce for us that the kingdom of God has come near. I was the firstborn of four girls to loving Christian parents in December 1961. They taught me from the start that I was deeply loved by them and by Jesus. I imagine I was probably around seven years old when my faith became my own. At the age of five, my parents built a house in Hebron and we began attending the first congregational church in town and would do so for the next 22 years. I have vivid memories of key times in my faith journey during my growing up years and the people whom God planted in my path along the way. I remember receiving my first Bible as I was entering the third grade in Sunday school. My pastor, Reverend Kelsey, explained to me and my third grade classmates that he hoped we would not go home and simply place our Bibles onto shelves to keep them looking nice and new. Instead, he hoped that he might visit us at our homes one day and see that our Bibles had become worn and tattered from our regular use of them. God used those words to spark a fervor in me at that early age for reading and studying the Bible. When I was entering the fifth or sixth grade, my Sunday school teacher and her family felt called to begin attending a different church. My mom was so concerned about how this might affect me that she invited Mrs. Johnson over to our house so that I could talk with her about it. 
I remember that conversation causing me to understand how important my faith was to my mom, and it made me realize that God can move in ways that we might not always understand, as I remember watching my mom struggle with their decision too. I remember around the same time thinking I was hearing God call me to be a minister, yet there never seemed to be other confirmations that it was God's voice speaking to me. So I kept it to myself and wondered if God would ever confirm that calling. In the meantime, my church family encouraged me during my high school years to use the gifts he had given me in a variety of ways, ranging from search, serving on a search committee to for a new pastor to teaching Sunday school. During my senior year at Ram High School, the notion of attending college was not on my radar at all until the Holy Spirit used my classmates and my guidance counselor to steer me in a direction that would prepare me for the tasks God would later assign me. I can remember so many times in my life when I was willing to go in one direction, but God would steer me in another. Jesus was my friend and would never let me down. It was God's plan, not mine, that I would then attend college to become an elementary school teacher. I didn't see myself as capable as others saw me, but God used others, many of whom were not even Christians, to place me on a track that I would later realize was the result of God's hand on my life. I married Jeff, my high school sweetheart, during the summer of 1984, just after we both graduated from our colleges and after having dated for four and a half years. I began my first teaching assignment as a first and second grade teacher in the Mansfield Public Schools and remained there for eight years. After a year of marriage, we decided we would begin a family, as though that decision was solely ours to make. While trying for four years to become pregnant, I felt increasingly unable or unwilling to be content with the idea that I might never be able to have a child. And I'm sad to say I spent all four of those years just wishing God would give me the gift of a baby. God lovingly used that long and painful waiting period to show me how poorly I had waited and how self-centered I had been towards the God whom I knew loved me beyond measure. Shortly after giving birth to our first child, I remember crying out to God and telling him how deeply sorry I was for having wasted those four years and that if he ever called me to wait again like that, I would remember this lesson and choose to be content no matter what the circumstances. I would try hard to never again waste another waiting period that he might assign me. It was such a profound conversation. Over the next several years, my husband and I would walk hand in hand together through a horrible split of my treasured childhood church, opening together a small Christian school with another couple, homeschooling our own five children for 12 years, and me later returning to teaching as a middle school teacher at a local Christian school where our children had begun to, to attend. I had become deeply committed to Christian education. When the King School had to close its doors in 2007, God opened a new door for us at the Cornerstone Christian School. I still marvel today at how he steered my path and felt he could use me in ways that I would never have dreamed of pursuing on my own. Only God can do something like that. Jeff and I watched our oldest children over the next five years become their own adult persons, making their own decisions, which is not always easy for parents to watch. But we knew God was always near to us. And then, suddenly, from out of left field, 
my husband, whom I loved deeply and considered my best friend, announced to me after 28 years of marriage that he wanted to try a different life than the one we had built together. I was utterly devastated. I cannot find words to describe how deeply this shook my world. I honestly did not think I would survive spiritually, emotionally, or even physically. I simply could not make sense of what was happening. I just could not understand why God would not intervene and save our beautiful marriage. I am ashamed to say that I remember at my very lowest moment, knowing that if God would have let me, I would have been willing to leave God behind and chase after my husband. It was fleeting, but I remember the thought being there. It was in that very instance that God hugged me and reminded me of my promise to him 23 years earlier. I am so grateful that Jesus didn't push me away even when I was willing to move away from him. Once again, he proved he would always be faithful to me even if I would fail to be faithful to him. I had promised God 23 years earlier that I would do a better job of waiting and trusting and not wasting time being discontent if I ever faced a challenge like this. This time God spoke very specific words to me. He said, wait and see what I can do. God was asking me to wait again. And I had promised him I would do that better the next time. And that next time was now. I realize today that the promise wasn't as much mine to him as it was his promise to me. He would help me wait and see what he can do. By the grace of God, I have learned how to be content when I cannot have my own way. God has enabled me to wait, to watch him, to pray like I never knew how to before, to be quietly content in knowing my God has always, always, always been faithful to me and will never stop. Only Jesus could have done that work in me. I think that's what God was talking about when I thought he was calling to be a minister so many years ago. I am learning to treasure my story because it's the one that God has chosen to give me to share. And it's a story that proclaims God's amazing love and faithfulness to me. Thank you, Tanya. That's what the announcement that the kingdom of God is present today looks like, right? The presence of Jesus makes all the difference in our lives. First Timothy 4, 7 says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people. A training regimen is designed with a particular goal in mind. If you want a particular result, you do certain exercises, you abstain from certain foods, you put together a workout, a routine. In the Christian world, we call those routines rules. A workout regime or regimen designed to point us towards a spiritual outcome. 
But let me be clear, spiritual exercise isn't exactly like physical exercise. Physical exercise works on the principles that suggest if you burn a certain number of calories or exercise a certain muscles, you will either lose weight or build strength in those muscles to the proportion of the work you invest. You can make it happen. Spiritual exercises have only one objective, to open yourself to God. The goal of spiritual disciplines and directions is to be present to God because he is the one who makes spiritual growth happen. Our objective is to stop and listen to him, to unburden ourselves in the presence of God, to sit waiting in God's examination room to listen for him to speak. If you don't do that, it's going to be tough to grow. You can always choose to grow through the school of hard knocks. For those who don't pay any attention to God on a daily basis, you may force God to hit you in the head with a two by four in order to learn a lesson. But a less painful way of growth is to daily attend to God. Not that you will avoid the school of hard knocks altogether, but there is a pattern in place for us, and the pattern is daily worship. And for those who pay attention, who watch, well, I think Elizabeth Barrett Browning said it rather nicely. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he who takes off his shoes sees. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Do you, do you see the way God is present all around you, desiring to be involved in your life? Only he who sees, only he who pays attention, only he who has decided to listen, only he who is patient enough to listen for the voice of God, they are the ones that see. A Christian rule or a Christian spiritual discipline involves finding the ways that God speaks to you and making sure you do those kinds of things, right? If you see God in nature, get yourself into nature. If you hear God in music, listen to music. It's not that those can be the only things that you do in spiritual growth. And we've tried to demonstrate a wide range of things today so that you can construct a life of personal worship that keeps you in touch with the Savior day by day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Our, our transformation in Christ is about staying linked to Christ. And when we unhitch our wagons from his presence, then we have difficulty. One of the reasons we're emphasizing small groups right now is so that we can develop spiritual friendships that help us pay attention to Christ. There are sign-up sheets in three different places in the church today with explanations about launching new small groups. And if you're interested in that, I encourage you to sign up because this is just another way to become accountable for staying connected to Christ and assisting others in that particular journey. I hope you will take it as seriously as it is serious. Worshiping Christ is the center of everything. It's the only way we stay positive 
in a jaded and cynical world like the one in which we're forced to live. It's the only way we remember that Christ died for us and live lives of joy and gratitude given all the other stuff we have to deal with. It all comes down to worship. It all comes down to that link between you and God. I grew convinced over my sabbatical time that the most significant thing I need to do was to find every conceivable way to encourage you to stay continually connected to God. That it's the most important task I have because he is your resource. He is your fortress. He is your refuge. He is your deliverer. He is your healer. He is your strong tower. And all of your hope, all of my hope is in him. You are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, summoned to declare the praises of God through all generations. Now rise to your high calling as children of God and demonstrate his worship through your living. And do this to the glory of Jesus Christ, who reigns now and forever. Amen.